Podcast. This is the Blockade Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Freebus, a.k.a. Shut Your Trap. Joining me, as always, halfway across the world, it's Jared Morgan. Hey, everyone. How you going? I know I'm doing good. We're, we're back quickly here, Jared. It's only been a week since our last one. It has, yeah. It feels sort of weird, but sort of good at the same time, to be right? honest. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Part of that reason, well, I should say the main reason for that is we have content, folks. We have a uh, mm. we have somebody else joining us from another corner of the world, um, <laughs> and uh, new to the show here. So let's get him on right now. It is the uh, company director and founder of Phantom Compass, uh, responsible for Rollers of the Realm, which you guys might know, Tony Walsh. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. Uh, what part of the? <laughs> I know you're. East Coast, as far as I know, but you're up in Canada, yeah? Uh, yeah, I'm actually in Toronto, Canada. Toronto, so okay. North America's fourth largest city. <laughs> <laughs> Currently overrun by truckers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Way to clog up the world, guys. Um, yep. So, just want to get a little background here. Uh, Phantom Compass, you guys have been around since, I believe, I read 20... 10? Is that uh, right? 2008, actually. Oh, 2008. Uh, yeah, so I guess that makes it like our 14th operating year. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting couple, do- you know, dozen or so years. Right. <laughs> and you guys are, I mean, obviously you're an independent studio, um, but are you PC primarily? Do you do mobile? What is your, what's kind of the, the scope of Phantom Compass? Yeah, we're pretty much all platforms. Uh, as far as releases uh, go, uh, these days you'll find us mostly on Windows PC, on Steam. Um, our uh, uh, game, Rollers of the Realm, uh, which was released in 2014, was released for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Vita uh, and PC. Um, and we've also done mobile games it's just you won't find many of those uh, non-PC products out there because uh, the company basically we produce original games uh, and we also do service work for other teams oh, okay. and sometimes some of the games that we work on for other teams we can't talk about uh, and others of them that we do produce and release uh, to the consumer market uh, don't have a long shelf life Um kind of partner with local TV studios and broadcasters to uh, create content that backs up their televised content. So um, that would have been like the first half of the company's lifespan was doing a fair bit of kids TV work. <laughs> yeah. I saw some of those ones up on the website, actually, they look uh, interesting. There was a collaboration with, uh, I think it was shell. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. We've done our share of uh, advert games and educational games and straight up entertainment. Um, here in Canada, uh, we did do a fair bit of work for places like uh, YTV, which is like a kids, it's like the Cartoon Network in the States, I guess, um, and uh, clients like that. So anywhere from, it's mostly youth market stuff and can be uh, uh, for marketing, education, entertainment. What is there a particular style of uh, game your studio uh, primarily does, or do you kind of have a cross game? Because when I saw the thing, I saw like a racing game, I saw a puzzle game, I saw RPG. It's kind of yeah, we're all over the map, you know. Um, it's uh, yeah, it really has been an interesting dozen or so years. I mean, I would really like to specialize a little bit, uh, but just the way that our company career has taken us, uh, we don't often get to make the same game twice, which is why it's a pleasure to work on uh, the sequel to Rollers of the Realm, right. Um, but definitely we've gone across the gamut from multiplayer online car combat, uh, to puzzle, to, uh, you know, uh, visual novel. Um, yeah, lots of different genres. So I'm curious, uh, just going with Rollers of the Realm, uh, what, <laughs> what made you guys decide that, hey, there's pinball, but then there's RPG. Let's combine the two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was a dark and stormy night. Um, so actually what ended up happening was uh, after, uh, you know, uh, five or six years doing mostly Flash games uh, for or kids TV, as I was saying, uh, our little studio um, needed to kind of amp up uh, its game and uh, increase our capabilities, uh, work on higher quality projects. Uh, and we did um, I, uh, Unity as a, an engine that would be good to work with and, and start working on some 3D games because we'd really been primarily 2D for years. Um, and uh, we were able to partner up with a round of laid off AAA workers and, um, 
in uh, St. Catharines, Ontario, which is uh, the former home of Silicon Knights, which was a sort of a triple A uh, console, primarily console uh, company. And so there were there was a big round of layoffs there. We knew people in there. Um, One of our staff members uh, was formerly from that studio. Uh, and her husband uh, and a bunch of his friends. And so we, we just cherry picked some of the best team members um, and said, hey, let's work on something together because my studio makes very compact, small scope games in very short amounts of time. And you guys have these amazing production values and it takes you three years to finish a game. And if we combine <laughs> our, you know, our, our skills, maybe we can do something that's, you know, a so-called triple I or double A, you know, release, um, and we can do it uh, quickly. So we thought, okay, we're going to make a game for XNA for the Xbox. And what can we do with like 20 odd people who came to the first few meetings? Um, You know, we thought, well, what's simple to produce? And we kind of went to ball physics. And, you know, long story short, a lot of the folks who uh, were involved in the concepting stages we're all kind of, you know, late thirties, early forties at the time. Um, you know, I grew up in pinball and video game arcades, uh, in the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. Uh, you know, D and D was like the first role-playing game I ever played, you know, at the age of like 10 or something like this. And so it was kind of like yeah. all this stuff always comes back, you know, it's yeah. like the stuff you cut your teeth on as a kid always comes back. And, uh, it was really a fun idea for us to consider doing a kind of a medieval themed pinball. Um, And that idea took like two years to get fully funded enough to produce into a real video game. Um, And uh, we did start on it in XNA and then we switched to unity uh, and finished it in unity. Um, And it also started off as a 2D game in XNA, um, which is, in case your uh, listeners uh, don't know, it's basically the, uh, it's like middleware to produce uh, indie games for uh, the old Xbox systems. Nowadays, you do it differently. um, So yeah, and then uh, we we shopped it around at the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco uh, one year, and the response was really good, and uh, it sort of bolstered us to look for additional funding to produce the game, which we had originally um, targeted for a six-month production cycle. And I think from concept in like 2011 to um, receiving funding in 2012 or 2013, and then finishing the game in late 2014, you know, it was quite the process. So, um, you know, we didn't think it was going to take us that long, uh, from financing to the completion, but, uh, you know, it was a good journey and we learned a ton as an indie team and we retained some of those triple a, uh, team members, uh, for quite a while after, uh, that game was launched in 2014. Cause it's interesting. You, I mean, that's basically right when digital pinball was just in its infancy, I shouldn't say infancy, but it's just starting to to accelerate there because Zen had been producing some, uh, you know, their independent stuff. Farsight all of a sudden had the Pinball Arcade, um, which came out in 2012, and that was really starting to gain, by 2014, it was definitely starting to gain traction. Um, and, and so it's just like you were right there, <laughs> right when everything was kind of going. I think, like, the team members who were involved, you know, we we had some moderate pinheads on the team um and although i did grow up in arcades like i i mean i remember pinball fondly and i i loved to play it but i am not a pinhead like i'm not even that good at pinball (laughs) pinball. (laughs) um but um you know some of our influences actually were some of the early digital pinball games like um i don't remember which name it shipped on uh as there's um i think it was devil's crush um pinball quest uh, these are games for like SNES and and uh, Sega. Sure. Um, yep. You know, um, Odama um, for Nintendo, um, which wasn't really mm. pinball, but had like it was this crazy game with drumming and rhythm and this big battlefield ball that would go around. Um, so that we kind cool. of had, yeah, yeah, we kind of had influences from all over the place. Um, and those of us who had been in the kind of arcade scene and stuff like that. So it's a real good a a wide range of experience on the whole team, which was great. Mm, Right. Well, it's, um, it's interesting that like you were talking about the, I guess the lead time going up to the first rollers of the realm, 
and here we are at reunion and it's sort of been around that eight year gap so i'm wondering if you might explain is is it the reason why there's been such a a seemingly long gap between the two releases is it because it just takes a long time to sort of envisage the new game and how it works or is there other factors at play yeah a little bit um from each category Mm. uh so it does take a long can take a long time to produce a game um in i think on most creative industries there's something that's called development hell which is um trying (laughs) to find the financing to produce the thing uh and you know along the way of finding financing you may pick up partners along the way that have their own ideas and so on and so forth so when we produce original games here at our studio, um, we do leverage uh, programs that are available here on the um, provincial level or state level, basically, uh, and the federal level. Um, and we, because of the way that those funds are provided to game developers, they're competitive funding programs. So, right. you know, there may be like 300 submissions and 20 or 30 get selected. Um uh, we cater our pitches to those funds to maximize the chance of us getting funded because we'd much rather spend other people's money than spend our own. It really right. goes a long way to <laughs> that is a good s- idea. sustaining the studio. <laughs> um, and so we made you know the first rollers in 2014 and couldn't figure out a way to make a sequel under those funding programs until they changed the guidelines and started providing for sequels to be made. Uh, um, and at oh, that time... Right. We thought, Mm. well, look, like, are we crazy? Why would we not do another Rollers game? Like, it was super fun to work on. And uh, so that's what we did. We pitched it and and we're fortunate enough to to get the funding to produce the sequel. Um, And it's turning out to be just as fun, if not more fun than working on the first game. Because it's interesting how the, in that interim, I had never, I hadn't heard of the game. I know a few people had kind of made mention of it, and that was around the time there was a, a another game had just come out that I had paid attention to, which was uh, the Yoku's Island Express, which yeah, also does pinball game. mechanics without mm. being pinball. <laughs> and um, and everybody was like, "Oh, if you yeah, if you like that, you get you got to play Rollers of the Realm." And and then soon after, I had heard that you guys were working on a sequel, and I was just like, "Oh." Well, why don't I just wait for the sequel? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. We actually did make uh, a free demo for um, the 2014 rollers, uh, put that out on Steam. So that was, I think, um, late last year we did that um, because we found with uh, PlayStation had had a demo uh, and it, the conversion rate was really good from people trying mm. out the demo to actually buying the game. And so we thought, well, you know, the sequel's coming out. We should really try to leverage the first audience um, in a way to get them uh, motivated to look into the sequel. But uh, yeah, we're like super stoked. It's our, our first sequel as a studio. And um, you know, we had, we, we do have that 2022 release date looming. Uh, (laughs) I wish I knew exactly which month, but uh, you know, uh, we're, we're working real hard to, to get it out this year. Yeah. Right. So, well, that's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought that, you know, that's the other bit that I think as consumers we don't think about, like how to actually fund the thing yeah. and, and get it out. And it seems like there's a real balancing act in play there. Well, for actually... small indie teams like our studio, you know, we range in size from, say, six to 26 people, um, depending on how many projects we have in. Um, and, you know, we don't have dump trucks full of money dropping <laughs> off loads of gold coins at our house houses every day. So, um, yeah. you know, indie studio sustainability is, is very tricky. And, um, I'm super fortunate to have been able to lead this studio through the last dozen or so years through the many ups and downs. My gosh, it is, uh, you know, when I started this studio, I had come off a, a really successful freelance career and I thought, oh, that, it's been so great. This freelance, I'm rolling in dough. I should just start a game studio. And it was like, <laughs> oh, my God, I have to run a business now. Are you kidding me? <laughs> my background is is creative. Um, I'm an artist sort of by origin. And um the amount of stuff you had to learn. I mean, I love to learn, which yes. is, I mean, I don't know how you could do it otherwise, but uh yeah, it's not for the faint of heart running your own business. And definitely, you know, uh, it's even tougher 
you know, if you don't have a breakout hit, then you don't have the money coming in from mm -hmm. that game that you sold last. And that's why we do a lot of service work because it's uh, a great way to keep the lights on sure. and, and people in full-time jobs. It so sounds like, um, I was just going to lead on with another question I had too, is like, I was curious, there must be a difference in the way that a studio works when you're developing sort of the more contracted games versus something like rollers where you've got the team in house and you can really sort of throw ideas around and develop the game in, I guess the studios, um, guys, if you want. Um, so how does it differ when you're actually doing contract games versus more long-term games like rollers? Yeah, contract stuff uh, typically is done for a flat fee. So there, there's your, um, you know, your constraint right off the bat is uh, <laughs> you're working backwards from a certain budget. And, um, you know, it, it, this is, uh, again, similar to lots of industries. Um, people say, well, how much does it cost to make a game? You know, what's, what, what's involved? Mm. You can say, well, you can have it fast, good, or cheap. Pick two. Oh, yeah. yeah, pick two. The right? triangle. Yeah, exactly. And, and that is 100% how it works. And, uh, you know, so you are trying to manage constraints. You are trying to manage clients and accounts. And, uh, you know, it's a service business. So you're uh, providing a service and, and trying to often shepherd the client who may not have a lot of games experience, but their kid plays games uh through you know the actual reality of making a game and what's involved and uh that has all of its own rewards and challenges for sure um mm -hmm. you know making our own games um we can be our own worst enemy in the sense that uh when you don't have that set of constraints i mean you still have a budget and you still have a timeline mm -hmm. but you have other levers that you can pull uh, you know, you may find you're going over budget in one area. And so you're pulling a little bit from this like lesser used area. It's a lot more, um, you're a master of your own ship, but you know, there's a lot more going on, um, that has to be, uh, dealt with and thank God. Uh, so we, there's three partners in this studio, um, our technical director, Joss, uh, and our uh, production head, Erica and Erica and I mostly wrangle the productions and, um, keep things kind of, uh, under control and we're often working on two to three projects at any given time when we were working on um and we still are working on rollers of the realm uh reunion but last year and the previous year we were concurrently working on a puzzle game called triversal and right. on top of that every once in a while we'll still do service work while we are doing mm. <laughs> those other Just two projects it all in. <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean you know but it's that's indie life you know if you if you're not doing you know if you're not making crazy good money on all of your games um which is actually quite rare in in the indie space to be totally frank um you know you got to pull the money from somewhere so we're hustling just like everybody else mm. so let's talk a little bit then about uh where you guys left Rollers of the Realm and where you're now going with it. I, like I said, I hadn't played the original. Jared has played the original. We both have Extensively. played... Extensively. <laughs> <laughs> we, we both have played the, uh, the alpha that you guys were kind enough to uh, provide for us to uh, get a sense mm. of what it is with the uh, first chapter of that game. Um, so, I mean, my, my impression just with playing that alpha was just like, hey, this is great. This feels exactly like what you're hoping for. A lot of pinball oh, action. Perfect. There's a lot of there's a lot of <laughs> aiming going on, which I was worried that it was instead going to be kind of like very simple, basic. Yay! There's a flipper and there's some pop bumpers, and that's the end of the story. Whereas this, there's a lot of enemies that are moving. Therefore, your aiming is you know mandatory, and your flippers are getting shortened by taking hits and everything. And all of a sudden, it was like, hey, there's some strategy that goes on with this. This is this is this is really cool. And then add into that the RPG element of throwing in the strategy with, you know, upgrading your ball and which ball you're going to use and all that. And I was like communicating that to Jared. And he was like, yeah, there was a lot of that wasn't in the first game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really is an evolution from the first game. I mean, the first game had a lot going for it. Um, it you know, it's a product of its time. So it was our first major sure. consumer release. And, you know, mm. if we had to do that one all over again, we'd probably make some changes. But, you know, with that game, you ended up uh, being able to collect up to 10 different characters in your party, each of whom represented a life in pinball. 
And so if you maxed out to your 10 uh, heroes, you could have 10 lives in a pinball board and you actually did need 10 lives in some of the pinball boards. It yep. was, yeah. <laughs> you sure yeah. did. Yeah. Some of them pretty, were brutal. Pretty punishing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, having to learn 10 different character abilities and all this kind of the nuances of all of those 10 characters, we really wanted to focus in on five available characters in the alpha you played there's only four mm -hmm. um there's mm -hmm. a fifth uh which we'll probably announce at some point um and you are able then to get to know on a better um tactical level what each hero is capable of um you'll get to be more familiar with their sort of particular physics um their statistics uh and their upgrade paths and it's much easier to wrap your head around the five and focusing on the five. And then beyond that, whereas in the original game, you could field 10 characters at once. They were sort of all supposed to be in your party fighting at the same time. Um, and then you would switch between available characters in the first game by cradling the ball um, and then uh, using a character selector to, to change what we did in the sequel is that you can hot swap at any time um, and your party may consist of up to five heroes, but you can only field three of those heroes in any given play field. You can actually handicap yourself if you want. You can only you can play as few as one um, heroes if you if you really want to. But right. um, this gives us some dynamics between heroes um, and we are still sort of like tinkering with the balance and whatnot, but there's some nice um, combinations that can occur where the knight's really good at knocking enemies down. When the enemies get back up again, they're temporarily stunned. When an enemy is stunned, the rogue's got a higher chance of um, her opportunist attack, which is kind of like a surprise attack um, and can do massive critical damage. So you can kind of set up characters um, to do different things. You can... If you're the healer, you can build up your mana. You can summon her healing staff, which is sort of a widget on the pinball field that just pops up wherever you hit her ability button. If you hit that yeah. thing three times, it fully repairs the flippers. So you can set that up and then switch to any other character. You can use the rogue, summon her multi-ball dog. While the multi-ball is in play, you can switch to another hero. So it kind of gives you a lot more flexibility, instant flexibility that the first game didn't have. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I found myself, I'd be playing, and I was playing with the knight a lot, um, just because yeah, I liked how chunky he was. But then it was like, wait a second, what am I, why am I beating my head over, you know, trying to defeat this? I can just swap and, and you know, lightning zap everybody here. <laughs> and, you know, so yeah, it was, it was kind of like, you found yourself settling in a mode and then going, wait. I've got other tools in my you know, chest here that I can be utilizing. This is, okay, I'm going to have to really wrap my head around this and, and doing exactly what you're saying. You flip the ball, it starts hitting what you want, boom, immediately hot swap to somebody else and, you know, let's go. So, yeah, yeah. it was very interesting on that. The um, the other thing I noticed with the just the way the, the actual characters or the balls enter the play field is actually sort of it moves away from the more traditional approach that you had in rollers where you would actually plunge the ball into play yes um whereas now you actually launch the ball into play from between the flippers and you can yeah. actually control the direction of it um was that sort of uh obviously that was a a change based on probably gameplay feedback you received um or was there actually, is this is there something else at play there like is there a a reason for that design change in the way yeah, that bring Yeah, absolutely. In. I mean, it's a big change. You know, you, you mm. it's, it's our game is not really traditional pinball at all. I guess for anyone who's mm. not familiar with it, it, it really is a blend of uh, RPG and pinball. And then the pinball part of it, um, you know, there are some traditional aspects, but we are, we're taking, definitely taking some liberties. And so the mm. traditional plunger, which was in the first game most of the time, uh, is now mostly not available in, uh, in the sequel. And what we have instead is the ball spawns between the flippers, um, just above the flippers, and then you can pull back and launch and aim. So your first shot is a called shot. And yeah. what we were trying to do with the sequel, and I'm not sure how successful we've been yet because we haven't had enough eyeballs on the game yet, 
Um, we, you know, one thing that we're missing because of the pandemic is we don't get to workshop this thing in front of actual game players that yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, what, what our intention is, is to make this game easier to play and to advantage the player more because we did take in the original game, we took perfectly fine pinball and we actually made it harder. <laughs> um, because <laughs> it was challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Because your flippers get whittled down by enemies. Again, this is in case, uh, your audience is not familiar, uh, enemies will um, melee and ranged attack uh, your flippers. Your flippers kind of represent your combat viability. And as your flippers get whittled down, as you can imagine, uh, A, it changes the dynamic of play. Like now you're working with these stubby little flippers. um, And B, obviously your ball will sewer a lot more easily. Um, Mm. And that still happens in this game but we afford you a lot more ways to actively take care of that problem um, from your very first shot on a pinball board, which is a called shot. So, you know, one thing that we found um, the more casual gamers were having trouble with was hitting specific targets. Hmm. So we just give you a little nudge off the top and go ahead and and get that target if that's what you want to do. And speaking of nudge, uh, the first (laughs) game as well, we turned pinball tilt into RPG agility. So yeah. it's okay to tilt. We expect you and want you to tilt and you would tilt left and tilt right as you might expect in pinball. Yeah. In Rollers Reunion, you can literally move in any direction. Tilting goes in any direction you move the thumbstick. Um, and that opens up a whole lot of other gameplay modes that are not strictly pinball, but are ball physics related. Um and we did borrow from a physical pinball, uh, not pinball, a physical arcade machine called Ice Cold Beer by Tato. Oh, um, yes. Great game. So we have a couple play fields in the game that are pretty much that. Awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have side scrolling. We have top down marble rolling, uh, parkour and platforming. And we even have pinball stealth. Uh, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pinball stealth. Jeez, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. It's. I was actually going to ask, this is one of the questions I wanted to know. Like it, it From something that was very flat out, just traditional pinball in the first rollers to these, like just in the demo alone, there's like about three or four different gameplay styles in the way of the extra play field mechanics. Like, you know, as you say, platforming and and maze-like action as well that must have been a bit of a jump to actually go how do we level up the first game and how would you how did you actually make that decision to bring these elements in to the to the actual well game? we iterate a fair bit um and it was definitely like i'm directing the second game it's a very collaborative process when we have a small studio mm-hmm. um you know everybody's got a say on how the game is is coming along and and you know, although I'm directing it, I'm super interested in, in everybody's opinion, you know, from QA to coding to, you know, 3D art or whatever the case might be. So we wanted to give you a, a, a little break from traditional pinball from time to time. Um, I think that there is definitely a balancing act to be had with regards to keeping enough traditional pinball to satisfy um, that gameplay uh, urge. Um, And we do have a majority of the boards um, are sort of the more traditional style pinball. We still don't have very many boards that are just like straight up like Zen Studios style uh, Mm. digital pinball. Um, If you want that kind of game, that go play a Zen game. But our game is, is, we play a lot with the wide aspect ratio of Mm -hmm. the screen. Um, because tilt is agility you're kind of expected to move laterally a lot more often than you would in in uh, traditional pinball but um in any case we kind of wanted to have a palate cleanser um and to have a few more fun things to work on because we'd already done a full pinball game and we're just like well what else can we do that's still ball physics but also super fun and so we'll continue to kind of keep an eye on where we've gone with some of this stuff and i think it's possible there could be some people that played the original game that are like, I wanted every play field to be straight pinball. And I'm disappointed that there's some side scrolling thing, but I think most people will be pretty happy about some of the changes we've made. Yeah. I was going to say, honestly, when I get kind of annoyed at, 
and this is mostly on mobile games that we see this, where you know that they want to go kind of like what you're do- you're saying, that they want to try different things, but they try and keep it under the constraints of a regular pinball field, and it just it fails on both accounts then, because you're just mm-hmm. like, this isn't how pinball works. <laughs> you know, my flippers don't go that way, and you know, you don't go all the way outside of the you know the framing of the the cabinet and everything else like that. Whereas when I was playing with this, it was like, well, no, this is it's navigation via pinball as a concept, but it's yeah, it definitely doesn't feel like it's a hundred percent pinball, and yet it's very much shoot the lanes. Hey, there's your target way up there, and you know knock this a couple of times and that's going to open up a trap over here. And, you know, so I kind of felt that it, it, like you said, palate cleanser, definitely. And you're playing to the strengths by embracing what you're embracing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that, uh, that you enjoyed it. I mean, again, it's been a real um, difference for us for the last two years. We often go to uh, expos, public expos and festivals and, to not be able to stand next to gamers as they're playing your game and read their faces uh, and listen to the comments. Um, You know, it's been uh, tough because we rely on that kind of feedback to make improvements to the game. And uh, we may, you know, we may do something like a semi-private beta or something like that prior to launch. I know that Steam has some kind of not, I mean, we all know about early access, but I think they actually have a beta program um because we'd love to sort of like street test the thing before we ship um and really there's not a whole lot of months left in this year even though it's only february (laughs) yeah (laughs) true yeah absolutely you know we would it's very true like what chris was saying is so true about pinball and that you know the flippers are your link to the game and they really do help you connect um, yourself into the game and it, when you're experiencing it so i did notice as a as a pretty avid player of the first one there was a definite difference to the flipper feel from the first game mm. um how how did the how did you refine physics because we were talking about physics before as well and the fact that you have the agility now which is very different how did that what you learned from the first game um flow into reunion and um, what sort of tweaks do you think you made as a result of that sort of iterative approach? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think that, you know, for us, the physics aspect is pretty much one of the most important aspects in the game. So if you don't get that right, there's going to be a lot of <laughs> players who Problems. are not going to be happy with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, video game physics, uh, even using an engine like Unity, uh, any physics-based game has lots and lots of problems behind the scenes um, that make it a challenge to develop. Uh, and I think that, you know, we went with a total redo in terms of how we approached, um, this is sort of a little bit technical, but like in we the like original game, <laughs> in Unity, <laughs> we had a weird scale going on, like the ball was a weird size and the angle of the play field was at a weird size. And I think we like, I think the ball would like physically roll down. Whereas in the sequel, we are faking the pull down table and, um, right. you know, a bunch of other stuff. It's all, a lot of it's just straight fakery, um, but there are, um, you know, is an interesting point about the flipper field because we don't get a lot of feedback like that on the team because we've been playing the same damn game for two years. Yeah, been too and close to it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, if there are, um, well, I guess, I mean, it's fine if it's not, but is it is it any better for you or is it at least like yeah. just different but relatively on par? Or? No, I really feel it's, it's, it's more refined now. I think you can actually pick your shots better and even though you've got the agility to sort of course correct if you're a little bit off, you, I think your ability to aim and shoot for targets is a lot more directed now. Yeah, um, so that is version. actually my feeling as well. And I cannot tell you that like we deliberately fine-tuned every gear to get that exact result, but mm. it, it's something that I think we may have felt as a team like, something's off here, I can't hit targets. Mm. Like I get, I feel like I have a way more ball control in this version than the original version and maybe it's because i hammer on the thumbstick a lot for agility but i'm not sure (laughs) well i mean it is it definitely i can see it becoming 
in in reunion it's definitely going to be a key feature of the game and i can only imagine that in the later levels you're going to be using agility to actually get into different areas of the play field oh yes off objects and stuff like that oh yes yes so so that's where i got from the demo for sure for that like the ability to move four ways instead of just two left and right is a yeah. key gameplay mechanic in this new game so that's really yeah. cool yeah but it's I pretty think, neat um, to be able to add speed coming down or or you know it's like it's a pretty fun way to do it and and it's intuitive i feel even though in pinball maybe if you're traditionalist you're used to just left and right tilts it's just for for the way we're playing it now it's like the way most video games move i didn't actually even think like when you just said you know applying speed like essentially increasing rake of the table like or decreasing or increasing the rake of the table based on agility i had never thought of that actually as being a thing but you're right like if you wanted to get up to a high area you can actually give your the upward motion on the controller and then get a little bit more speed yeah now there still is real physics so that's not going to yeah. that will work for the lighter balls like the rogue um yeah but it won't work the night, at no all chance. for the night yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah no that's really really interesting so uh yeah i'm, I'm glad that it's it, it definitely does come through for me at least um as as a uh, marked improvement and just well, the, I'm happy you know, to hear the ability that. Just the, like that ability to, you know, you don't have to trap up anymore on the flipper to change characters. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Like that was a that was actually like a detriment. You actually felt like the game, it was like a, a stop-go moment where now you've got more of a flow in the way you actually control character movement. Well, it's funny because so, there was one particular board where, uh, you know, obviously it, in that particular one, when you got into the pop bumpers that uh, maxed out your meter and I needed that meter maxed out really fast. And I found that if I was in the night with the knight, he just stayed there bumping a long time, would max it out. As soon as it's maxed out, boom, switched characters while it was still up there. Yes. Went to the mage, yep. bam, zap lightning on all the goblins that are around. As soon as it drained down, switched back to the knight. And so it was just like, hey, this is really cool that I could, you know, even within the board, there's certain areas that certain balls are going to be better equipped to better get you to your goal than yeah than that's others. that's 100 percent our design philosophy and it's something that we're you know as we refine and refine and refine it's something that we're going to be play- paying closer attention to in the refinement uh, stage there will actually be areas that are accessible only by specific characters um beyond the kind of like this character will just generally do better there's actually gated uh per per character in some cases mm. i was um I actually fired up the new game, uh, fired up the old game um, before the interview just to sort of familiarize myself again with it. And um, the mechanic of reviving was a real thing in the first rolls of the round where you could revive characters between rounds. Um, yeah. Is that, I didn't notice that in the demo. Is that still something you do? Or is it more, is it different now with the rebalancing of the, the way? Yeah, the it's totally different. So right. uh, yeah. I'm so glad that you did play the first game and that you have these like specific mechanics questions because I love to mm. answer these kinds of questions. <laughs> so we, we the, do like yeah. to go deep. Yeah. <laughs> so again, uh, for anyone in the audience who's not familiar, um, when you sewered a hero in the first game, that hero was technically like not dead, but like out of commission until they were yeah. revived. Uh, and revival, I believe, required a full mana bar, which requires you to work the table quite a bit. And um, again, I think, you know, the way I felt about that was I liked the idea of it, but the, again, for flow reasons, it was sort of taking away from your speed of getting table objectives and stuff like that. You're like, well, now I, Christ, I have to divert and do this. And it was a little, um, not, I, I, what I wanted to do was make it even easy, again, even easier to play and even easier to understand how not to lose the the play field entirely and yeah. so in the sequel when a hero sewers that hero is not taken out of play but you lose a heart so we didn't and ah, it's, so now it's more yeah, like right. rpgs it's like you see your little lineup of hearts and when the hero sewers a little heart explodes and is gone and now you have one less heart and when all of your hearts are gone now you've lost the play field and i just looked at that as that was my ball count that is basically your ball count hey it's a three ball game it's a three hard game okay yeah now (laughs) what's cool about that is when you do hero upgrades uh you're going to be able to uh upgrade your hearts uh on a per hero basis and then since you can only field three of your five total 
it's like, well, what am I going for here? Am I going for like the fastball with a little bit of health or the bigger ball, the slow ball with more hearts? Or like, how am I concocting my recipe for this particular play field? Because you're not going to be able to like easily upgrade hero hearts. It's going to be an expensive upgrade. And so you'll have to really think about what you're doing in terms of the, the uh, spread of your, um, what you're sinking your gold pieces into for upgrades. I'm getting Final Fantasy VIII flashbacks of, oh, crap, I only <laughs> upgraded three of my six heroes that suddenly I need to use, and those other three are, like, Yeah, minimal. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those tightrope things again, you know? It's a real balancing act between, like, you know, I felt that the first game, um, which was, you know, we, we love it. We love the first game, and we wanted to make some changes and improvements to it, and, and definitely, like, I felt like the first game's, item upgrades were more about how many upgrades you had rather than kind of what specifically they did. Um, and that's not entirely fair. I mean, definitely you could read and, and understand what they did and you could, that's how you made the choice of which ones to get. But I think in the second, um, in the sequel we're working on now, you know, there's more, mm, more depth to the progression system um, and the combinations of, things that you're buying with the heroes you're including in your roster for that play field really make it more of a meta. There's some meta game going on that we didn't have the first time. I, I definitely noticed that um, between the two, like the first one with the, I guess the, the RPG elements of the game, it felt like you were essentially, well, I've just got to collect them all. I've got yeah. to upgrade all the characters and just buy them all. And which meant you had to go back through. And I guess that that's sort of like a, a help with the replayability issue of the game mm -hmm. as well. You like you to essentially catch them all. You had to go and replay the game a lot, get more gold, go and upgrade. Yeah, and it felt like a bit of a, it felt like a bit of a grind. Yeah, and, and that was a bit of a detraction, I think. Yeah, but it seems like, like as you were saying, and this confirms my my suspicion about it, is that the aspects of each character's abilities and reunion, they seem to be way deeper and it seems to be the game can actually change depending on how you actually upgrade and manage your character upgrades. And we did that by reducing the number of stats that the characters have actually, which is oh, really like wild. If you think about it, that yeah. in the first game had a, a wider range of st statistics. And this one, we tried to work with reasonable, you know, as few as we could reasonably given that it's an RPG and all this. Mm. And that, allows us to more deliberately like more deliberation and design to cater to a smaller set of numbers that you as a player have to kind of keep in your head and weigh the various pros and cons about. So your sort of like number space in your head mm -hmm. is easier to figure out than just like, I don't remember the exact number from the, maybe it was 18 stats and now we've got eight or nine you know it's it's like a right. lot fewer statistics because we just you know it, it's it helps us as game developers the less stats we have the easier the game is to tune and tweak and balance but it also makes the gameplay more pure because you know it's uh, uh sometimes simplicity can really help everybody it can help the developers and it can help the player understand what's happening and that's the most important thing like you need to know like and feel it. You need to feel the change. So there's fewer stats. You're going to notice the changes better. Right, right. Because it was interesting when I saw when when I felt this in the game in the demo, I was going, "Oh, okay." Because it's a thing that sort of turns me off playing RPGs. Actually, is the complexity of them and mm. actually managing character weights and everything like that. It's a. I'm very much a like a instant gratification game. Yeah, I just want to play why, the game. <laughs> which is why I like pinball, right? Like right. it's, it's, it's exact, gives you exactly that. So when I was feeling this, I was going, oh, okay. So they've changed this mechanic. Is that going to make it more focused on character management? And is that going to make it harder for me to actually progress and play the upper levels in the game? Or is it actually going to be a help for me? And I, I wasn't quite sure about that. So this is sort of helping me understand that it's actually, it's less to manage, even though it feels deeper. I feel that it is, it's less from, um, again, like the that um, meme with the um, all the numbers floating around, you know, you have few, <laughs> yeah. few, fewer of those, <laughs> you know, to think about. Uh, you know, it's like complexity is not often actually that good of a thing in the um, breadth of statistics that way. And 
when you have fewer things to consider, well, what will this upgrade affect? And it's only eight possible things it can affect. And I'm just throwing that number out because I cannot, for the life of me, remember exactly how many stats we have. It um, is about that. <laughs> yeah, the way that we the way that we show you what you can do with the characters as well should be a lot more straightforward. Like we've categorized the types of upgrades and within yeah. each type, there's different options that you can pick. And I think it should be comprehensible enough. At least this is what we're shooting for that. If you feel like you're not doing enough damage and you really want to use this one particular character, just upgrade the weapons until you're satisfied with how much damage you're doing. You don't need to overthink it. You can just sink gold and just sum up. Look, there's going to be a lot of places you can put your gold. And yeah. I guess, you know, you're making me think, well, maybe we should have a, like a level up for me um, option or something like right. that. Some... Yeah, mm -hmm. that could That's... actually help. The casual yeah, yeah. Player. Yeah, yeah. So something idea. like that might be good because we don't, we don't really want to bog people down with this stuff. But mm. I think if you were giving it just some thought, not overthinking it, not pouring through each stat, I think you'll be fine. You just pick a bunch of different upgrades to get based on your favorite characters and you, you should be good to go. It's it's not going to require... I did actually find in the first game, like I, I was sort of overthinking it a little bit, but at the end of the day, mm -hmm. I was just like, well, I'm just going to keep getting gold and just buy everything for everybody. I'll just keep buying it. I'll live yeah. up one character at the time. I just did it per character per character and said, yeah. I'm just going to max out each one. Yeah, um, yeah. Obviously starting with the knight. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want that thing to basically just run through everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other thing that's like... It, in addition to the way that you've re-leveled the RPG aspects of it as well, we're seeing some extra game modes in there, which are quests, and they sort of seem like they might uh, help with the replayability and getting people back into the game again. Yeah. Um, is that the intent with the quests? Yeah, 100%. So um, quests will be, um, you know, little mini missions, collection missions and stuff like that, um, that you'll receive at various points in the campaign. Uh, and there are quest items uh, in play fields um, that you can pick up related to whichever quests you happen to be on. And it, it Although it would be possible that you could get those items on a first playthrough, it's more likely that you won't get them on a first playthrough and you'll have to go back and pick those up again. Mm. Um, you know, and we'll have to be careful about, we want these play fields to be replayable. We just don't want you to have to play them 10 times, you know, maybe play it a yeah, few right. times, you're good, or just twice, you're good. Um, and we've actually added, I don't, did you guys find any, um, did you go to the world map and happen to find any? Mysterious secret holes. areas you bet i did <laughs> okay I, I don't think there's anything i haven't touched in that demo yet so <laughs> right, i've been drinking right, okay. it all up nice yeah, yeah. i definitely so, had a tour of the world map just looking and bumping into things it's um, still fairly nascent so there's a lot of stuff that we're you know cooking up that's not in yet so um but one thing we wanted to make sure was in um were these mysterious holes so uh mm. the way that they will work is um when you come back out to the world map from a play field there will be a new mysterious hole somewhere um and once you've gotten it you're not going to get another mysterious hole until your, your next play field completion oh, so they're uh, they're kind right. of m metered and they could be anywhere that's accessible to you on the world map so they won't be in the same place twice um and then we haven't put these into the demo i don't think they're in the demo that you guys played we also have just random gold pieces around the world map so Ooh, no, I haven't seen you can just kind of that, no. you're like oh geez look at that over there do, 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 pick Free that gold up. is good it's just pocket change but it's it's fun mm. it's fun to just roll around and grab these things uh and we're also uh so we sort of have this on our maybe nice to have list but it's not going to be that hard to add um she, sheep to herd uh mer <laughs> merchants to bump into and um you know unlock certain upgrades that you may not have in your original list for the demo you guys played the, all the all the items are available mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but uh the you know the full game probably you'll you will unlock some of those through happenstance as you work your way through the campaign so there's a lot more coming to the world map and i think a lot of ways to play the game in terms of replayability that don't rely on grinding the same play field too many times i'm yeah, just right. gonna say not knowing what the stealth mode is uh if suddenly you have to hide under a cardboard box and a little ping, 
noise i'm gonna oh, it's funny you should mention it's funny you should mention <laughs> i can't say cardboard box but we know the game that's from and, uh, yeah. we we take an awful lot of cues from that so you won't well, be disappointed you know, pinball design is all about playing homage to other yes. designers yeah now i'm like i literally gears turning in my head about how we can put a cardboard box on the, on the, yeah. anyway. <laughs> we'll think about it We'll think about it. It's like Easter eggs like that are just too awesome to to do. Um, yeah, they you know, they make hardcore fans smile exactly, widely when exactly. you do it. So it's great. <laughs> it's like it'd almost be like if all of a sudden we're hey, look at this castle that has all these really narrow pathways that are going with the little chompy worms. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, Hey, we're, we've dominated way more time than we thought that we were going to dominate. Yeah, you. well, um, we, so we went long. <laughs> we certainly appreciate that. Uh, folks, for those that have not played the first Rollers of the Realm, uh, we have been generously been given five copies that we're going to be able to give away. Uh, stay tuned to probably our next episode, and we'll uh, devise a way that we'll uh, hand those out to you guys. Uh, that way you're able to uh, get a taste, and if you... Don't win those. Don't worry. It's not like it's an expensive game over on Steam. No, it's <laughs> I think, not. I think it's only ten bucks full price, and I don't know if you guys do Steam sales, but uh, sometimes. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's it's worth the money if you haven't played it. Put yeah. it that Aww. way. It's, Thanks, it's a really guys. fun game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, certainly, if you need uh, more players testing uh, as things come by, uh, absolutely feel free to let us know. We can put you in contact with. Uh, various folks over at yeah 100 uh, no it was fans. a great chat today i'm i'm really uh happy with the the questions you guys got got into the dirt there so that's good oh, yeah. thanks for that yeah, absolutely and uh no, thank you again when the game's getting close if you feel like you need to come back on and talk some more we're happy to have you sweet thanks all right thanks so much that was uh tony walsh the company director and founder of phantom compass uh we'll be back with another episode not quite sure when but it'll be uh definitely not in a month's time and sooner than that but probably not next week either so there you go probably not (laughs) (laughs) until then uh the next time we'll be talking about all those things that jared loves so much which are stuff and things take care folks bye-bye bye